Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Today our Bible reading is from 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 to 9. First Peter chapter 5, 1 to 9. To the elders among you, I appeal at a fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appear, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elder, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposed the proud, but show favor to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowl around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, picture this. It's a dark, stormy night. The isolated Christian retreat center is hosting a church camp with your youth and morning congregations happily mingling and growing and serving together, but there's a killer on the loose. Someone is creeping around in the shadows. It's a murderer, a saboteur. Who could it be? You finish your stirring evening talk and after chatting some more with members of your church, you duck into the toilets and as you close the door, you come face to face with dramatic music builds, the murderer. The camera pans around from your startled face to reveal that you are in fact looking in the mirror. The murderer is you. Now, I hope you'll forgive my... Um... <laughs> I hope you'll forgive my B-grade murder mystery scenario, but here's the killer truth. One of the greatest threats to your ministry is not the booming megachurch down the street. It's not a shortage of funds. It's not the cultural distance between you and your worldview and the worldview of the uh, people around you that you want to reach with the gospel. It's you. It's me. It's the, the shadow leader within us that has very mixed motives and a warped view of self that can kill our ministries if we let it. See, the thing that causes many leaders to fail is not the external stuff, but the internal stuff. 
our blind spots, our unspoken needs, our sins. Now, over the last 15 years or so, I've ministered in three churches where previous leadership failures have wreaked havoc. There has been immense damage done to the flock. And that damage doesn't just last for months or years. In, in the current case, in the church I serve in, it's lasted for decades. People get hurt, people leave the church, people give up on faith. Not all of those who leave the church find another church and continue their discipleship journey. So the stakes are high. And today we're going to reflect on Peter's advice to church leaders. I'm sure it's been shaped by his own leadership failures. Remember, he's the guy who jumped the gun when he thought he understood what Messiah should be and do and told Jesus off for mixing up his game plan. Peter's the guy who, um, for whatever reason, said he didn't know Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times, just to make sure it was clear. I'm confident that Peter shaped his advice for leaders drawing on his own stuff-ups. And he focuses on three particular traits that I'd like to work around this morning. Accountability, hard attitudes, and resisting temptation. Now, he starts in verse 1 by explicitly addressing elders. But then he casts the net wider in verse 5 and draws in those who are younger. And I think what's actually happening, if, if you look back uh, to chapter 4, verse 10, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Leadership is one of those grace expressions, and we all do it in some capacity. If we're doing it well, we are faithfully shepherding God's grace when we meet with someone at school or at home or at church or at hospital, one-on-one, -on -one, in a small group, in Sunday school, during the main congregations meeting. There's no setting where this stuff doesn't apply. So firstly, good Christian leadership is accountable. It's accountable to others and accountable to God. Verse 1, Peter says, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will share in the glory to be revealed. See, he appeals as an elder himself to other elders. There's a collegiality about the way he thinks. There's a mutual accountability. And that arises because all leaders have power and authority. And someone has to be accountable for that power and authority and the way it's exercised. And every prominent Christian who's fallen in recent years, from Mark Driscoll to Bill Hybels to the guy who was at the church I'm currently at 20 years ago, they had a problem with accountability. And they didn't exercise it in godly, faithful ways. And so we see in verse 1 and in verse 4 that Christian leadership is anchored between two immovable accountability points. Verse 1 hinges on Christ's suffering, and verse 4 is all about Christ's second coming. So Christian leadership is shaped by the cross in the past, and it's shaped by Christ's second coming to judge in the future. The cross makes us accountable because it defines the shape of leadership as self-giving, as self-sacrificing. 
It's the opposite of self-serving. And verse 4 promises that Jesus, our highest leader, the chief shepherd, is coming back to evaluate our actions as under-shepherds at the end of history. So the quality of the way any of us lead should be fit for eternity. Now that's a heavy burden to put on anyone. And maybe it puts you off. And it should kind of cause you pause, because if you feel its weight, then you've actually understood it and you've got a healthy perspective. But it's the people who don't want to be accountable, who will sort of brush that aside or deny that or minimise that. They're, they're the worrying ones. That's a warning sign and that's not healthy. Now, next in verse 2, we see four character qualities, four heart attitudes for Christian leadership, being caring, watching, willing and eager to serve. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Now, there's a famous passage in the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34, and it's all about the uh, religious leaders of the time in Israel. They were meant to be shepherds. But they weren't good shepherds. They were wild animals. They were the kind of murderers I alluded to in my opening scene. They ruled the flock that was God's people harshly and brutally. The shepherds indulged themselves. They gave themselves the best food. They let the sheep get scattered and picked off by predators. Ezekiel told them what he wanted instead. He wanted shepherds who were genuinely caring who would strengthen the weak, who would heal the sick, who would bind up the injured, who would bring back the strays and search for the lost. Does that sound familiar? Hmm, that's Jesus, yeah. So Jesus is the pattern for good leadership. Yeah, I like that. And as Christians, we follow Jesus. We don't just follow him as disciples, we follow him in the way that we lead too. Now, leadership involves watching, and that means being close enough to see what's happening in the flock, but also watching out for dangers, which may arise from within or without. And when you read the New Testament, you often see that the common danger within the church is relational problems, and a common threat from outside was false teaching. So you need both uh, empathy and emotional intelligence to see what's going on inside, and you need critical analysis to understand what's happening in the wider world. And if you get those out of balance, then there's a danger. See, we do something rather unsettling at Ridley. That is, we concentrate on good doctrine and, and learning how to read the Bible well. But if you end up using your zeal for doctrine as a weapon to verbally beat up on people you disagree with, well, that's not watchful shepherding. That's not balancing the emotional and empathetic side of caring with the watching side. And often what's happening when people get a little bit high and mighty about their doctrine is they're, they're actually covering up some insecurity and trying to prove their own righteousness through their, through their doctrinal purity. And that's another warning sign. Now, leading the church should be willing, not forced. 
And all of you, I hope, have grappled with the economic cost, the reputational cost, the relational costs of taking up a role in Christian leadership. We need to count the cost, as Jesus said, and willingly go where he leads. Because if we don't acknowledge those costs early, the danger is we find ourselves in ministry and then suddenly discover that oh, this is hard. And we get a little bit resentful and bitter and angry and fearful. And, and who do you think we take those emotions out on? That would be the flock. Yeah, sorry, guys. There's the killer at work again. And lastly, in this verse, Peter says, Christian leaders are willing and eager to serve. Now, that eagerness arises from knowing that God has been so good to us, so gracious to us, and that when you experience that in your own life and when you delight to see other people experiencing and growing in God's grace and goodness, well, eagerness to serve then creates this virtuous cycle of growth and unity. And it's the opposite of the vicious cycle of wrong motivations and corrupted church life that Peter transitions to in the next few verses. So Peter, having considered leadership accountability and leadership hard attitudes, he spends the bulk of the next few verses urging his fellow elders to resist the temptations connected with leadership. Verse 8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Christian leaders will get sniped at from critics within the church, and we sometimes feel the weight of social scorn from outside the church. And behind both of these attacks is a spiritual dimension. The devil's on the prowl, looking to pick off leaders, because that'll slow the progress of God's kingdom. And Peter mentions a sample of temptations that we might encounter. Dishonest gain, power, hypocrisy, pride, and depression. So let's have a little look at each of them. Dishonest gain might be the love of money. Uh, I had a student in Indonesia who'd been um, sponsored through Bible college, um, but when he got out into his ministry placement, another denomination came along and made him a better offer. So he jumped ship. Dishonest gain. But maybe the dishonest gain that tempts you is emotional rather than financial. You see, if, if you or I are not secure in ourselves emotionally, if, if we need that affirmation, those likes, uh, that praise from others to get going, to get up and preach or to set up the youth group fun night, there are actually plenty of churches where you can pursue the dishonest gain of working to satisfy your own emotional needs. You can seek out and minister to people who will in turn fill up your leaky emotional bucket with their praise and gratitude. But that's dishonest gain. Because what you're doing is you're using your flock to meet your emotional needs. And that's not service, that's manipulation. Another temptation is power, pure and simple. Verse 3 says, do not lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. 
I am troubled by leaders who seek power in the church. It suggests, as Mark Sterling from Leadership Network puts it, that the gospel is not enough for them. He talks about ambition and the quest for power as indicating that someone wants more because they're insecure and they don't have enough to satisfy them. But here's the thing, if grace as a gift is not enough to make us content and secure, then nothing ever will be. See, the opposite of ambition and a quest for power is the realization that Jesus has already given us everything that we need or want. We can never gain anything more precious than being adopted into God's family through the loving sacrifice of Jesus. And so a leader who's motivated by grace won't grasp for power, they'll exercise appropriate power with humility and accountability. Now next I wanna consider the temptation to hypocrisy. Verse three, it says leaders should be examples to the flock. In other words, don't be a hypocrite who says one thing but does another. Being an example means that your life has to have a level of transparency but you'll only be that transparent if you're humble enough to let other Christians know how you're really going. Letting yourself be known, letting yourself be accountable, well, that's, that's why we need prayer triplets and growth groups and peer groups and professional supervision to spur each other on and call out the sinful tendencies that we'll hide sometimes even from ourselves. And in verse 5, Peter quotes uh, Proverbs 3, verse 34, and says, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Healthy Christian leadership isn't about self-promotion or ladder climbing. It's about humble service, knowing that lives changed for eternity are far more significant than any present-day accolade. And so verse 6, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Pride, well, that'll put me at the center of ministry. Humility will put Jesus at the center. Humility will lift Jesus up and direct the gaze of the people we're serving towards the one who can truly meet their every needs, who will heal them and renew them and fulfill them. So if we keep on exalting Jesus, our ministry will stay in balance. And lastly, there's a temptation uh, which is different to the ones we've looked at so far, which are mostly to think too much of ourselves, and that's to think too little of yourself. It's, it's the danger of anxiety, because it is certainly possible for Christian leaders to get depressed and burnt out and anxious. We feel the weight of expectations, the pain of failure, and the hurt of seeing those that we love and care for lost to sickness and sin. And Christian leaders are very human, and these events can drive us to hide our distress and sometimes even for people to then self-medicate with alcohol or pornography or gambling or other addictions, and it can turn into a destructive downward spiral. So Peter says in verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I think one of Peter's uh, greatest moments was also his lowest moment, 
when he met Jesus on the beach after Jesus rose again, I suspect he was feeling a bit down then, a bit anxious, a bit worried. Jesus confronts him and says, do you love me? How's that for an antidote to anxiety? Simply, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Affirm your love for Jesus and then remember his forgiveness, his saving work and his commissioning. Feed my sheep. And I think Peter wraps up all this advice to leaders uh, and he sort of uses it to move and transition on to the end in verse 10. He says to the wider church, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. See, that's the picture that Jesus paints, not some B-grade horror film with dysfunctional leaders who have hard hearts and they're falling for temptations left, right and centre. No, it's a different genre of movie that we see. This is the kind of chariots of fire where we feel God's pleasure as we run, as we lead, where our ministry has earned a crown and those that we have loved and served are standing strong and firm and steadfast. Let your leadership shine like that. Amen.